Hello, and welcome to the Paterno Fellows Podcast, a podcast designed to help students navigate the requirements of the Paterno Fellows Program through exploring research, service, creative opportunities, and engaging in meaningful conversations about contemporary campus issues. This is a podcast designed by and for the students of the Paterno Fellows Program. I'm your host, Erin Flannery, and today we'll be discussing the purpose of a university with none other than the winners of the Collegiate Laws of Life Essay Contest. The Collegiate Laws of Life Essay Contest is an annual competition that asks Penn State students to explore ethical values and intercultural issues, showcasing their talent for expressing their views through writing. This year's prompt was, what is the purpose of a university? And this will be our topic for today's discussion. In first place, we have Ezra with his essay titled, The City of Bridges. In second place, we are joined by Taryn with his essay titled, 8,000 Acres of External Revolt. In third place, we have Carly with her essay, The Duality of Higher Education and the Roles of University. We are also joined by the honorable mentions of the essay contest, Nicole and Elijah, with their respective essays, The Pessimistic Truth and The University Exists Because Human Infants Cannot Outrun Hyenas. If you have yet to read these essays, I urge you to follow the link in the description to acquaint yourself with the great work that our panelists have produced. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Okay, so welcome to all the panelists. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'd like it if we could start with just getting a little bit from each of you about why you decided to submit entries into the Collegiate Laws of Life essay contest. And if you could tell us a little bit about how the writing process went and what you gained from this reflection um, about the purpose of a university. So I um, actually entered this last year as well, and I um, won one of the prizes last year. And so uh, that was my first thought was maybe I'll get lucky twice in a row. Um, But then the actual um, process of writing this um, so I wrote it in a moment of rage is the way that I think of mine because mine was all about money and I'm pretty sure I just gotten like a reminder email to like pay like my credit card or something. I, I don't know. But um, as soon as I did that, I was kind of like, oh, wow, the university purpose is just to make money. And so the only way I can really describe my writing process was like a frenzied 2 a.m. angry rant. And um, I really did not think that it would. uh get any accolades because it's literally called the pessimistic truth. Like it's, it's very bitter and angry. I I entered the essay contest and I probably would have tried to write an essay regardless of what the question was, but this particular question kind of spoke to the period of, of life that I'm in where, you know, I'm a senior, so I'm leaving college and I'm sorting out kind of what my final priorities are before I leave and what my life's gonna look like after I leave. Um, And just trying to make sense of like the last four years and like the meaning that I found in them um, and then how that plays into the rest of my life and then my family's story. And I know all that sounds really abstract, but the essay that I wrote tries to contextualize that yeah, Ezra, and just to follow up from that, um, I thought that your essay was really touching, um, especially with the stories of your family and your family friendships and your personal friendships that you weaved um, throughout the essay. 
And I was just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on how the role of friendship and especially the bond between roommates that you highlighted in your essay has impacted you over the past four years. And if you could expand on how the relationships within the Paterno Fellows Program in particular um, have shaped you. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think that, you know, we approach college initially and most people think of university and college as where you learn things. But what I think is more important than what comes in the classroom is who you're sitting next to. And, you know, in, in my experience, like that social capital of the people that you meet in college and, and then what that means in terms of like your network later on, you know, in, in trying to get a job in consulting or whatever you're trying to do is is paramount. But besides that, just the relationships and like the memories that you're able to create in college are, are so valuable. Um, and I was, my two closest friends are friends that I made through PLA, but I first met my friend Charles at a Paterno Fellows first year um, sort of like review. Like they wanted to know how the first year experience was. And so we were at the same kind of Q&A where they gave free pizza. And, you know, we literally become best friends. We went to London for a year together. We've been to Thailand together. Um, go biking a lot, like close relationship. And as, as like the school year winds down and I have about a month left with largely nothing to do since I turned in my thesis, um, I just thought of how like, you know, for a lot of people when the end of their college career is really light, they get to focus on, um, you know, the social relationships and like end on the sweet note. And I think that there's meaning to that because what you'll remember college for is not necessarily like whatever you learned in class or, or even what your major was. It's just the the people that you shared those four years with. And that goes on to, de- to define so much about your earning potential, so much about your like even family structure, you know, the people that you marry um, and and just like what makes life worth living. So yeah, I mean, I think it's all about relationships when you think about it. And that doesn't mean it's not at all about the intellect and what you learn in the classroom. But my closest relationships have formed in college. And um, yeah, I wouldn't trade that for the world. Well, thank you for sharing with that, Ezra, and uh, that with us, Ezra. And for anyone who's curious about Ezra and Charles's friendship, they were both featured on the first episode of this podcast about study abroad. Um, so I encourage all of our listeners um, to go back and um, explore that episode as well. Um, I'll turn now specifically um, to Taryn. Could you tell us a little bit about deciding to write the essay and how the writing process went for you? Yeah, so for me, it was pretty similar to Nicole as to like why I wanted to write. Um, I did the contest last year and got lucky and I thought might as well roll the dice again. And I also like this prompt a lot more. Um, last year's is about the nature of honor. And I like I thought that prompt was maybe a little bit too like abstract, a little bit silly to me. Um, and I, I didn't really like it very much, but I like this one a lot more because it really asks us to talk about our presence at Penn State. Um, and kind of reflect on what what are we doing at Penn State? What um, characterized the university for us and what do we want it to become? And to some extent, um, the way I got into that writing process was a little bit like not really inspirational. I got COVID like early December and I was in isolation um, and I was not didn't have a lot to do. I was just kind of like reading stuff and, and 
doing homework. So I thought, you know, I spend one evening writing um, and I came back to it this January to polish it up and submit it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a very like unorthodox method, but um, what, what really got me interested was that prompt about the university um, let me tie in something I had seen earlier, which is the introduction to my essay, this moment of kind of comedic um, academia in, in Belgium where a French professor got like flower bombed by some student who was kind of rambling. Um, and I wanted to tie that in maybe in a very ineffective way. I don't think it was fantastic, but I think it was still kind of funny. Um, and to still approach this prompt with the, the criticism of what I think maybe we kind of conceive the university in the vein of what Nicole was talking about, about when it comes to capital and money, and yet discuss what the university has been for Penn Staters for, for many years and what we could you know, kind of make it become like that again, uh, a place of progress and a place of, of progressive change. For sure. And I, I have to disagree. I think that you weaved in all of the stories um, of that French professor and of Penn State's own history. I think you weaved all of those points into your essay very well. Um, and I thought it was really enriching kind of to get a taste of not only Penn State's history, but other universities as well in terms of this kind of um, revolt, as you called it, right? The university as a place of revolt. I want to turn now to um, our panelist, Carly, and just get a sense um, for the moment you decided to enter into the Collegiate Laws of Life essay contest. And if you could tell us a little bit about your process and um, kind of the enrichment that you felt you gained from from writing this essay. Absolutely. Um, so when I decided to write uh, the essay for the essay contest, it was more based on the prompt. I remember I looked at it last year and I was like, I was considering applying. I can't remember if I did apply or not. I don't believe I did. But um, at the time I was like, oh, the, the prompt didn't really inspire me. Like I didn't really think there was a whole lot I could personally work with the topic. But this year's topic about, you know, the purpose of university kind of really, you know, I wouldn't say like spoke to me, but it really kind of made me think about, you know, what, wh why am I at university? Like what's the point of getting a college education? And I think, too, we're kind of in this new cultural like shift in what a university is, how much value we place on higher education. And there's a lot of discussion, too, about, you know, like the increasing price of education and, um, you know, the amenities that our university education is supposed to offer. And it made me kind of really reflective on my own experience with the university and its purpose. And from that moment, I was like, you know, I'll sit down, I'll write it. And I know my essay kind of explored more about like the our cultural perceptions and understandings of university you know like how historically university has shifted to what they are today and I kind of use that to explore you know the trends between you know past and past versions of university and modern versions of university and you know how they kind of coalesce together to create our current cultural understanding of university um, in terms of the writing process, I know for me personally, I can plan as much as I want, but when I begin to sit down and, you know, explore a topic, like in the moment, it, that outline and all I have prepped usually kind of goes out the window. Um, it tends to be more an in the moment type of thing. And for me, it works, but it definitely takes a lot of editing afterwards because I know in the middle of writing, it can make sense to me at the moment, but I'll look back at it and I'm like, oh, I don't think that was entirely logically consistent. But the process works for me and I think it worked out well. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting to hear that a lot of you were touched particularly by this question and um, felt particularly drawn to reflect on it given the current changes that we are seeing um, to the ways we are studying, particularly being online or going so far as to having to isolate like in Taryn's situation. Um, Elijah, would you say that was true of, of why you decided to submit an entry into the Collegiate Laws of Life essay contest, or was your reasoning a little bit different? Uh, my reasoning was, uh, I think reasoning is a bit of a generous word. Um, to be perfectly honest, it was just winter break, and uh, I've, uh, I live in State College full-time, uh, so I was just kind of at my house uh, just by myself, and I was alternating between working on my thesis and like watching TV and that just got kind of old. And so I was just kind of digging around for stuff to do. And then um, I remembered seeing that from the Paterno Fellow email. And I kind of, I like, I made a Google doc where I, uh, I, I copied and pasted the, the prompts into the doc and then just kind of started chipping away with some ideas. But then I kind of left it alone and I didn't really do anything with it for like uh, up until a couple days before it was due, and then I uh, I had like a phone conversation with my boxing coach, and he's he's a writer, and and we talked about the prompt for a minute, and I talked to him about my ideas, and he he liked the direction that I was going, and he encouraged that I wrote um, I wrote it in its totality, and so I ended up doing that. Like uh, I think actually like about an hour before it was due, or like two hours before it was due, I, I really sat down, and I wrote it. And then I turned it in, but I didn't really think too, too strongly about the prompt. It just seemed like a, a fun thing to try. Yeah, that's interesting. And it, it sounds like the process of writing the essay for a lot of you um, either helped you like build on some of your interpersonal relationships, like with your boxing coach, Elijah, or it helped you reflect on the relationships that have been most significant for you, um, like Ezra and the friendships that he's built. Um, I want to turn back now to um, Carly um, and ask a little bit about your essay specifically. Um, throughout the essay, you touched a lot on the idea of being a well-rounded student and a well-rounded individual. How would you define well-rounded and how do you think that a university um, in general encourages students to be more well-rounded and Penn State and the Paterno Fellows program specifically? Yeah, absolutely. Um, personally, in my own life, I'm a really big fan of the phrase, um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But not a lot of people know that the full phrase is jack of all trades, master of none, but still better than a master of one. And I truly believe that it's super important to become well-rounded, not only in terms of like actual skills that we have, but also in terms of being exposed to different perspectives and different ideas. I think that university, especially it's um, you know, in-person university, although it's a little different with Zoom, um, is a really great way and quite frankly, one of the few opportunities that people get to be able to be in a group of people who are all their age and have very similar like general cultural backgrounds, like of living in the US and even not, but um, being of a certain age and of a certain generation, but all coming from different backgrounds and different, um, you know, ethnicities, cultures, um, classes. And being able to kind of interact with each other and that um in one space all together 
And there are not many opportunities that are like that nowadays. Um, and I feel like that university kind of really offers this opportunity to, you know, broaden our horizons, be exposed to different ideas, and also kind of, you know, explore our own personal values in a setting where we're young, we're not really, we don't have many responsibilities, we're still in the process of figuring out who we are. So I believe that university kind of offers that opportunity to not just be well-rounded as a student and a citizen, but also as a person and have you figure out, you know, who you are, who you want to be um, in one space, you know, through four years. Um, I also think university is, again, a really great space to um, be able to, you know, broaden your skills, recognize your weaknesses. Like I know from my own personal experience, I'm not the best at math, but throughout university, I've, you know, committed myself to, you know, being better at that, you know, not only because, you know, it's a goal that I want to reach for myself, but also something that I can see being helpful in the future, because as we all know, our world is, you know, this huge um, mix of ideas and, you know, topics and like challenges that we have to get through, some of which might involve math, who knows, but I know a lot will involve, you know, interpersonal skills. So for me, well-roundedness is, you know, not just being, you know, as a student in terms of the skills we're learning, but also, you know, ideologically and uh, personally with other people. I know you mentioned a little bit about, um, you touched on general education requirements with uh, being forced to take math. Um, would you feel comfortable sharing any other moments at Penn State or with the Paterno Fellows Program in particular that you felt um, challenged you to become more well-rounded or pushed you more into some sort of personal or intellectual um, exploration? Yeah, of course. So right now for me, I'm currently taking an introductory microbiology class. I don't know why. It was more because I had a general uh, like science credit that I needed to fill up and I thought I already completed it, but unfortunately didn't count. So I had to take another one. And what we're covering right now is actually very pertinent to what we're doing nowadays or what we're learning nowadays in terms of like vaccines and like what goes into the process of vaccines. But how it strengthened me personally is I would say that um, I like science, but a lot of the chemistry and, you know, the very minute details of science, especially microbiology, you know, you're dealing with very small units of analysis and there's so many moving parts. They're still part of these small moving like units that it can be difficult to kind of get it all together. And as someone who doesn't really have a background in that, it was, there are some moments where it's been very difficult. But ultimately, I believe that, you know, it's kind of broadened who I am personally. It's made me realize I do have an interest in biology, probably not enough to actually pursue that field or that uh, degree of study, but it helped me realize a new, you know, personal interest. And it also really helped me in terms of, you know, what's going on nowadays. Um, the current unit that we're learning about is about, you know, vaccines, like I mentioned earlier, but also how vaccines are created, the different types of vaccines, um, safety and all that. I know we really touched upon too, you know, the false link between vaccines and autism and how, you know, the scientific process kind of is able to rectify, you know, situations like that with misinformation and, you know, the, the process that goes behind it. And it's really allowed me in my personal life to be able to explain to people who are curious or unsure about the vaccine process, you know, I can't speak to them to the most advanced degree, but I can kind of be like, well, this is what I'm learning. This is what I've heard about, you know, what vaccines are about on a microbiology level. And for that, it really kind of helped me, you know, realize one, this is what I like. And two, it made me feel proud to be able to, you know, help people who might not have the same knowledge that I do and be able to share 
knowledge and an effective life. That's really fascinating to hear how deeply just sort of these base level general education requirements that some people feel more annoyed or scoff at, how these requirements have really shaped um, your personal and um, professional life. I think your concept of well-roundedness is somewhat linked to um, a lot of what Elijah touches on in his essay, which is framing the purpose of a university as a place for self-development and ingenuity. Um, Elijah, would you mind sharing with us any examples from your personal experience of how being a student at Penn State and at Paternovell specifically has helped you um, innovate? To be perfectly honest, um, I'm kind of shocked that that was y'all's interpretation of the, the essay. Okay, maybe shocked isn't the right word because I can kind of see how y'all y'all could have gotten it, um, gotten that interpretation. But uh, the way I kind of saw it as I was writing it was it wasn't necessarily on an individual level. It was a way that, you know, I kind of posed it as something that humanity evolved. Like we uh, evolved this institution. And then it's kind of helping us change the way that we interact with the world. And to be perfectly honest, like, yeah, I think that, that the university still does do that. It does perpetuate uh, continued evolution of the human species. And, you know, I'm using the term evolution very broadly here. Um, it would be quite a horrible thing if it was literally leading to human evolution in the Darwinian sense. But uh, it, it's just changing the way that we interact with the world. And to be perfectly honest, <laughs> I think a lot of people go through the university and they don't change at all. You know, they don't challenge themselves at all. Like, you know, I, th I think it's great that, um, who was that that was speaking? Was it Carly who was speaking about her microbiology class? Yes, that was Carly. Um, okay, right on. Um, I think it's awesome that she's taking like a real science class uh, for an introductory science credit because I know so many people who cop out and they take the... Uh, the one that's not a real science class to get science credit for. You know, I'm not going to name any classes, but, you know, they're out there. I think you all know what I'm talking about. And um, so I would actually disagree. I think that the university does a really bad job of cultivating that. I think that, that a lot of people do get a lot out of it. You know, I'll shout out Ezra. I know he has that cool invention that he, he churned out, and that's, that's super sick. But a lot of people come out of college less, uh, less competent than they went in. So um, would it be fair to characterize your view of the university as just kind of a, a background or a setting that has opportunities for people to um, kind of innovate and explore and challenge themselves, um, but the majority of the responsibility still rests on the individual? I think you're absolutely right, and I would still say that, that the main purpose that it serves is not to cater to individuals, but to cater to society, because frankly, I do think that, um, and again, I'm getting people confused here, I do think that whoever said that the university on an individual for individual basis exists to take their money, I think that that was spot on. But when you look at what it does for society, it, in, or in humanity at large, it kind of fast tracks these processes that, at least in the short run, appear to be helping us. Yeah, so just listening to... um. Elijah, I think, talk. Um, so I, I kind of disagree with a lot of things that have been said, just because um, I know, like, for myself, I'm not good at math and science. So, like, I've avoided taking those for gen eds. I've taken, I've done other things for, um, through, like, paternal fellows and triers and stuff that have gotten me out of them. And I know that I've still taken classes that have, like, 
made me like an okay, I don't know, an okay student, an okay person. I don't know. But, um, and I just know that, um, I'm graduating a semester early. I'm graduating next semester instead of in, um, like next year. And it's because I've been able to skip out on classes like that. Um, and so that just kind of like leads me back to sometimes classes aren't all that necessary and like gen eds. And I can still think of myself as a pretty decent student and I still can like learn new things, whether it's through the people around me, kind of like how Ezra was leading to or w- without just taking like a microbiology class. But it goes to um, how Penn State pushes that capitalist agenda in that other people can figure out ways to graduate early, which I know isn't always like desirable if people want to hang out with friends. But if they're like me and I'm poor and, and broke, um, then I kind of want to get out as soon as possible. As much as I love it here, like I, I need to get out as like a, a financial issue. And um, but one thing that I really think is a uh, for Penn State specifically is um, the merch downtown. I think is the uh, perfect tool of a uh, of capitalism, um, just because you know, every other store has Penn State things all over it. So you literally brand yourself with Penn State clothes or, you know, you buy any object that with Penn State on it that you can cover your home with or your car or or whatever else. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's it's our school. You have to love our school or it's my favorite team or anything. But in reality, it's, it's just free advertising for the school. And um, I kind of think that the school tries to hide this a little bit from us um by making us um to think that we're one big happy and loving community um you know with things like the we are chant but um at the same time you know there's a lot of issues like under the surface whether it's the fact that we're being charged every year more well actually it's been frozen technically but but typically it's um uh every year tuition has gone up and you know there's what taryn has talked about with um a lot of uh, racism happening in the school. I mean, there was just a racist incident the other day um, that was on Instagram, uh, posted on Instagram. And um, so I think that just like that perceived community when um, is, has pulled more people, so many people to the university and it's just uh, been a way for the university to make even more money. So it's, it just like grows on itself, which is like, again, another trademark of capitalism. Can I can I hop in here? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, it's a great lively conversation. I'm really really enjoying it, Elijah. I, I really appreciate your like brash and honest kind of take on all of this. Um, but what what I'd like to highlight and just kind of shed light on is, well, first of all, if the university was all about just classes, and if and believe me, I'm in you know, gen eds that I'm fulfilling right now that are all on Quizlet. And then the university should know this. And I don't know if that's going to be edited out or not, but it's it's kind of ridiculous. But with that said, I mean, if the university were just about its collection of classes, then YouTube would have completely replaced higher education. So it's it's not. It's about a sense of community. It's about the people that you meet. It's about the the environment that's created that kind of models the real world and can teach you how to create opportunities, find opportunities, uh, you know, build networks. And that's, those are the skills. And this is like a playground for that. And those are the skills that you need for the rest of your life. And so to do that in an environment where the stakes are low is really, really valuable. 
But next to the point about capitalism, like, you know, inherently, you're going to have group identity, you're going to have like these tribal affiliations. And I would argue that, and, and so it's going to take on one form or another. And I'd like to inform this comment with, you know, my, my family's heritage of leaving the Soviet Union. I'd argue that Penn State's form of creating a community and an identity, be, even though, and, and maybe because it's, it's within the capitalist system, is a relatively healthy form of creating a community and identity. Um, you know, there are issues here. I think one of the issues that we don't talk about enough is just the excessive drinking and like the normalization of that. Um, and then that leads to all kinds of other issues. But by and large, you know, Penn State ascribes and, and really tries to abide by its values. And I, I can speak to this in um, with Keeper. We've tried to uh, like supply Penn State before. And we, we ended up selling uh, Keepers to the College of Liberal Arts. And a part of that process was that Penn State, without anyone knowing, without patting themselves on the back, does a, a check to make sure that all of their products that they're purchasing or they're putting their logo on are made in humane environments. So we made sure that our manufacturer and, and, and like did a, a full audit with our manufacturer to ensure that they weren't you know, abiding by, that they were using humane practices to create this product. You know, no child labor, no like a, a fair wage, all these things. So that's a principle that Penn State stares, stands for and actually, uh, you know, puts into action when they're supplying their products. And they don't pat themselves on the back or broadcast that. I mean, if I could jump in real quick. Um, so I think Ezra, for example, gave a really good example about labor restrictions for the way Penn State engages with uh, humane factories and humane sources. But I would also point out that came about because of activism at campus, on campus that took decades. Uh, even under Graham Spanier, they're pretty resistant to like putting in a, a full limitation on who, like checking which factories they go to, uh, working with, um, I'm blanking on the name, but there's a consortium of universities who work together to make sure that they access, you know, only factories with humane uh, practices and fair wages and so on. But that took a really long time for the United, United Students Against Sweatshops to do that work for decades. And so that kind of goes back to the point that it, Penn State hasn't necessarily always been honest to its realities. It takes pressure to make it become that university that we see now. And, you know, and I would point out there are a lot of good things about the Penn State identity. I think that there is some uniqueness to the way we have this feeling of togetherness and, and you know, that group identity that holds us together. But it's also served a blinding purpose. I grew up in State College. And I remember very vividly, you know, the era of 2011, um, where that scandal, you know, completely changed how people really look at Penn State. And, they, you know, people kind of made, to some extent, the correct assumption that it's a cult, uh, that it becomes a place where you kind of obscure yourself from the realities that are in front of you. And this was something that even administrators at Penn State, when they would attend a protest um, and then immediately walk away when students started saying, you know, the university is not taking the action they need to do. Graham Spanier walked away twice uh, on students speaking or getting arrested. Um, and, and so I think it's, I, I think Ezra makes a good point that that identity has value, but it has been pushed. It has been used to kind of blind ourselves from the realities of life and how people have really been hurt and, and impacted in very negative ways by this university. Um, and it doesn't always include everyone. I mean, there are a lot of students who don't feel involved in the Penn State identity um, because they're on the margins for race, for gender identity, reason, gender identity and, and sexuality reasons. And even, you know, for a very long time, Penn State would like ban women from like um, living off campus that was, I think, up to the 60s. I mean, there are a lot of like obscure restrictions on, on marginalized communities and smaller communities 
uh, at Penn State that took a lot of pressure to get rid of. So I, I think, you know, I, I want to point out there are nuances to how the identity really exists for Penn State, that it hasn't always been a positive benefit, but there are ways to make it so. And that's kind of you know, where we probably want the university to go. Yeah, thank you, Taryn, for offering that, again, that historical perspective of Penn State and activism. Just to dovetail off of this conversation, which I think has been really fascinating about how nuanced um, all of your views really are about the purpose of a university. Um, In your opinion, do you think that your interpretation of the university has been defined by um, anything in particular, such as um, membership within the Paterno Fellows Program or your status as a liberal arts student? Um, do you think the purpose of a university, this, the answer to this question might differ for people in Penn State more broadly um, or people within the Paterno Fellows Program? Uh, what really are the factors that you think have informed your experience and might um, inform the experiences of others? I'd be willing to start. That's all right with everyone. But um part of my view on university and kind of my experiences with the university have been really kind of influenced by being in the liberal arts. There's a lot of perception about the liberal arts of not being as useful as traditionally STEM fields, such as like engineering, uh, business to a certain extent. And for some, from my experience, I would argue that's completely false. Um, I've learned a lot of skills through the liberal arts, I believe will help me not only in my future career, but also just personally. Um, in the liberal arts especially, there's a huge emphasis on critical thinking through written communication, which not I wouldn't say is becoming a lost art, but it's becoming, you know, it's not as heavily emphasized in school anymore. It's more kind of pushed behind in favor of math and science. And, you know, from that, I have a lot of people questioning, you know, is it, you know, is it appropriate to make such a large investment into a field that hasn't historically had, a, you know, a huge you know, return. But the one thing I love about the liberal arts is that it's incredibly flexible. Like there's a lot more that you can do with liberal arts, both personally and professionally, that's not really explored, especially in uh, secondary education, like high schoolers. Like from my own experience, we didn't really talk about it a whole lot. Um, Like um, I learned a lot through my history professor, but that was, or excuse me, my history professor, but my history teacher, but that was more because, um, she would proactively, you know, kind of show us what kind of opportunities are in, you know, government and history and uh, English and all that. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, that um, the liberal arts works in tandem with STEM, but also that it's still a worthwhile investment, both monetarily and, um, you know, personally and professionally. In the Soviet Union and what my parents experienced, and, and I wrote about how the this particular university, the Leningrad Institute for Transportation Engineers, which sounds like a title right out of Borat, but it was the university where both of my uh, grandparents went. They became uh, architects and engineers and civil engineers, um, and everybody else went into math and science. My dad went into math and science. Um, you know, their their parents, like this whole generation of, of Russian Jews went into math and science because uh, it's described by Natan Sharansky, who was the, Man- the Nelson Mandela of this movement that tried to get Russian Jews out of the Soviet Union as a castle where you could protect yourself from the shifting worlds of official ideology. So there was truth to be found in math and science, and that truth would protect your job. That truth would protect you from being the outsider 
because like the politics had shifted so much that it was deadly and you needed a reason for you to be to remain relevant in the society and that reason could be found through engineering through something that was like specific and tangible now i've studied liberal arts and i think my my dad certainly had an apprehension to that he was like what are you going to do with that uh, my both my my sister is an engineer at georgia tech and my brother is an engineer at carnegie mellon you know like it's not really an option to not study engineering but for me like i've had this immense privilege that i live in a society where you know I won't like I will be relevant if I can't contribute in a tangible math and science way. And and that was that wasn't true in the Soviet Union. So, you know, like to tie these things together, what but but why like studying the liberal arts matters so much and like being a paternal fellow in the College of Liberal Arts is because like the structure of our society, which holds all of these different things together, is determined in those soft skills, is determined in like your interpretations of justice, your interpretations of, you know what's what's equitable your interpretations of like free speech all of these soft things that that people think oh how are you going to market that well they determine everything else because like these conversations and like the the culture moving in that direction is what allows for people to live is what prevents gulags is what prevents um propaganda and like what protects the the society writ large and i think we see that in like a very very tumultuous time you know like with like the the wannabe dictator that we just, you know, saw leave office and thank God he left office because in other parts of the world and I'm getting into my political views here, but in other parts of the world, the dictator remains. And just to give you, you know, like my, my political background, I'm conservative, but I would never vote for Trump because I, I never want to see a Vladimir Putin run the United States. So anyways, I'm getting pretty impassioned here, but like the, the core of what holds our society together and what protects all these different facets are those soft liberal arts elements and and the, the conversations about justice? Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear Ezra and Carly in in both of your experiences, but in different ways. How being a liberal arts student has really defined uh, your time here at Penn State and kind of the ways in which you've had to um, negotiate that, um, both within like a, a family and historical context in Ezra's case, or just within, you know, general social and um, peer expectations, um, kind of like Carly was for, uh, reflecting. Um, do any of the other panelists uh, have anything to add on this point? I can add just like one thing. Um, I like to hear all these um conversation or this conversation with um fellow liberal arts majors, because I do think that um, people in paternal fellows or um, liberal arts in general tend to have this more holistic view of education and the university, and um, and and you know we tend to think you know the university we want to strive for like the well-roundedness you know we want to be in every club and um, do research and internships and um, and like have these cultural experiences where we study abroad you know paternal fellows they they, they make it almost requ required, I'm pretty sure, to volunteer and study abroad and intern. And so those experiences outside of the classroom. Um, whereas if I talk to friends of mine who are um, engineers, and, and I'm not going to, I'm not saying that all non-liberal arts students are just here for one reason, but I'm just kind of curious if this was a question asked of um people who weren't in the College of Liberal Arts, how they would respond. And I know this was a university-wide question, but um, I'm just kind of curious if anyone here is non-liberal arts or if um, 
or if anyone have any has any perspective on how someone would respond if they weren't liberal arts based. My primary major is actually in the earth and mineral sciences. Um, I'm a geoscience major. And then I have a, a second degree in, in philosophy that's in the liberal arts. But um, to answer your question on how um, other colleges may have responded, is my, my main insight of this comes from the fact that I'm a writing tutor. Okay, so, uh, so people come to the writing center and, you know, they, uh, they get their papers peer-reviewed by, by me and my fellow tutors. And one thing I noticed is, like, um, you know, uh, engineering majors, like all these hard science majors, engineering, biology, whatever, you know, they all have just this beautiful knowledge base. You know, they, they know all this, this wonderful, very applicable stuff about, like, math and physics and chemistry and so on and so forth. But gosh darn it, they just do not know how to use commas. They, they just don't get it. So the way I see it, how they would go about answering that question is they do it with a whole lot less commas and maybe some other stuff, but I don't know. It's hard for them to express themselves because I don't think they practice it as much. So I think one of the things that, I mean, certainly I think being a liberal arts student has given me, I think the, like Elijah pointed out, like that time to really like write a lot and to think about like, you know, think critically about things and in a way that like, you know, you don't necessarily do as often if you're not taking as many, you know, like philosophy classes or something. And that's sort of why I, I like this question a lot because it was a time to dig deep into something I've thought about, which is, you know, what do we do at Penn State? What is university meant to be? Um, so certainly that's like a major factor. And I think people from other colleges might have the same opinion, but it's just like, you know, these are things you have to like talk about with people. And, and I think maybe it's not necessarily the easiest to just like put down on paper if you haven't approached the topic um, before or like really thought about it in depth. It takes time. Um, but I, I think certainly like one of the big factors for me is my parents, uh, like I live in State College, my parents are part of the university. And so I've seen this university like change over even like 18 years of being here, like in ways that you probably wouldn't have expected at the start. And so one of the things that's always been interesting to me as a sociology major is how institutions change, how, you know, governments change, how societies change, and how do we continue, like, moving change in the right direction that overcomes some of the wrongs that, you know, are problematic, kind of endemic to, to our institutions, to our universities, to our governments, and so on. Um, and so certainly that, like, kind of lens that I've, like, gotten in a sociology education, um, in philosophy as well, has kind of shaped the way I kind of approach this prompt, which is less of like a descriptive, like here is the university, uh, like here is the existing purpose and more of like, this is what the purpose like, you know, maybe ought to be, maybe should be, uh, you know, trying to make an argument for that uh, and using like the historical background of the way the university has evolved as evidence. Um, but that's kind of the, 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 those are the factors that kind of got me thinking uh, down this road. And just to round out our conversation, I'd like to pose one last question to all of the panelists about the future of universities. Um, and I think we've touched on this discussing just all of the changes that we have experienced in the past year um, as being students at Penn State. And how do you feel, uh, given these changes, that the purpose of the universities will change looking into the future? From my own, uh, you know, research when I was creating uh, my essay, I was kind of looking at overall trends of like what university was like because the two camps of you know universities more for promoting you know social stature and um, certain so social hierarchies, but also as a means to pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge's sake. And I think personally that the the overall function of the university, which a lot of people primarily use university for 
which is either climbing the social ladder or maintaining their, their position in the social hierarchy will probably not change unless you know, there's a new model of what we consider to be university that comes out that kind of drastically changes the expectations and its role in society. But I do predict that we're probably going to see different emphasis on different types of education. Um, I know right now there's a huge push for, you know, computer science and computer engineering because there's a lot of, you know, fields at the moment that are kind of going in that direction, especially with, you know, the advent of the internet and its expanding capabilities, I can definitely see that different trends and um, different types of education coming to the forefront, but I don't necessarily predict that university as we know it now is going to change drastically in the future, unless it's like in the far future when maybe it will. I think that um, Carly's points are, are great and that, you know, technology will certainly shape what a university looks like. I think that the financial reality of college is starting to set in where you can't justify how much tuition is and certain states are better than others. But in Pennsylvania, in-state tuition is like second highest of all 50 states. Um, And at at a certain point, people are just going to make the rational decision to opt for trade school or opt out of the university system altogether because of how expensive it is and how unlikely it is for them to actually pay that back and pay that off. Um, You know, I think we're going to get to a point where like labor and, you know, our individual uh, economic relevance in terms of labor is more and more uh, polarized. So certain people will be super relevant. And we're already seeing that with like data scientists and like people that work at Facebook and then like a few people that end up in banking and consulting that'll make, $100,000 starting salary, and then a lot of other people that like end up working as a barista, you know, and like end up in the service oriented roles that you don't need a university degree for. Um, So you're starting to see that like stratification. Um, And I think that the university is just going to have to come up with a reason for why people are willing to pay what they're paying or reduce the rate. And the way I see Penn State going is that they're coming up with a reason for why people to continue the way that they're paying by making it more about the experience. And I think that's why we have like these state of the art facilities and gyms and it's like a resort, you know, in, in like on campus, you know, at least the, the newest buildings they're building are like a dorm rooms or like a hotel. And then these downtown high rises, like the here, the standard, like all these like kind of beautiful luxury box boxes downtown that charge $1,500 a, a month like no like normal people can't afford that and and at like maybe having one building for like a school of 50,000 people okay fine there's like a few rich kids that live there but having six different buildings and i think that you're starting to get a lot more international students that want to have an american university and and know that the experience of penn state makes it worth it and so i think you'll see the demographics of penn state change towards serving and i hope this isn't the case but serving less normal middle class you know families and serving more of these like either rich American families or like rich international families. And so it's a little bit unfortunate, but these are like the economic realities. I think that Penn State's going to lean into the experiential reasons to go to college, which are important, but are uh, a luxury and a privilege that only certain people can pay for. And more and more people are going to realize that, okay, I can do a two-year trade program and start making $60,000, or I can go into debt for the rest of my life so that I can, you know, not remember every other Saturday and, have great times like it's it's getting a little bit ridiculous i kind of agree with this perspective that uh, a lot of it is like obviously from my essay that a lot of it is 
um, financial and, and monetary based. Um, and I hope that, um, you know, as much as um, getting new types of students is beneficial to the university, I hope that we don't go so far as to limit um, education access to to everyone, whether it's a rich international student or, you know, a, a poor Pennsylvanian. Yeah, I, I think your um, perspective on the financial change is also um, really interesting and really valuable as we think about um, the purpose of the university and, and who the university is meant to serve um, and within what community um, that that service is meant to be rendered. Um, Taryn or Elijah, did you want to add anything? Yeah, so I, I would just say I think Ezra is kind of going, I think he's kind of right in the prescription that like we're going to see uh, more stratification when it comes to college if tuition stay the same. And like, personally, I would hope that we move to a society where, you know, education uh, for employment is not something you pay like tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for. Um, but if that continues to be the case, we're going to see a massive stratification and like who gets education and then goes on to those jobs that become more in demand and who's, you know, forced to then work in a service economy or, or in, you know, places where you're not making those, you know, six figures or whatever. And I think the counter reaction to that is also the university is going to have a lot of faculty who work, you know, currently to try to understand that stratification, how do we respond to inequality uh, in our society, whether it's economic or racial or, or gender equality or, or so on, right? It's, it's going to be a place where I think faculty find themselves in tension with administrators who move towards that experiential and like, you know, kind of money getting uh, business making strategy, right? Uh, that faculty who really care about academia and want to, you know, continue making knowledge production open to everybody and not necessarily blue pay those, you know, r- those ridiculous sums of money, um, will find themselves kind of frustrated with the way administrators are moving. And I think that's already kind of the case. I mean, there's a coalition of faculty here at Penn State and, and community members that I support that, you know, tried to basically say, like, we need to audit the Penn State budget because, this spending is not really a fair way to, to sustain a university. Um, and so I think the tension is going to get worse. Um, I don't know where it goes. I mean, I personally believe to some extent we get to kind of move the university. What does that purpose become? And I hope it's a place where, you know, knowledge is a, not something that is, is you know, um, a commodity that everybody has access to it, that people can come to Penn State or other school all across the country and get an education and enjoy it and not necessarily see it as purely that, you know, career. It's like, I need to get a job with this because I think that really does kind of that, which is, you know, an ideology that comes because you pay so much to go to Penn state or any of the university. I think that ideology does kind of hurt the history of, of the university and the point of it, which is ultimately to create, uh, to create knowledge, to create analysis of the world and our society to innovate and to do all that work um, without necessarily making it impossible for certain groups to do so. So I'd like to thank all of the panelists um, for being with us today. Um, Unfortunately, that is all the time we have. Um, And thank you to everyone at home for listening and joining us today on the Paterno Fellows Podcast. Podcast.